Chapter Number Seven of Fighting the Flames. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zena Blue. Fighting the Flames by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Seven. Thoughts in regard to men. Miss Emmelina Tippet was a maiden lady of pleasing countenance and exceedingly uncertain age. She was a poor member of a poor branch of an aristocratic family, and feeling an unconquerable desire to breathe, if not the pure, unadulterated atmosphere of Beverly Square, at least as much of it as was compatible with a very moderate income, she rented a small house in a very dark and dismal lane leading out of that great centre of refinement. It is true that Beverly Square was not exactly the West End, but there are many degrees of West Endiness, so to speak, in the western neighborhood of London, and this square was, in the opinion of Miss Tippet, the West Endiest place she knew, because there dwelt in it not only a very genteel and uncommonly rich portion of the community, but several of her own aristocratic, though distant, relations, among whom was Mr. Auberly. The precise distance of the relationship between them had never been defined, and all records bearing on it having been lost in the mists of antiquity, it could not now be ascertained. But Miss Tippet laid claim to the relationship, and as she was an obliging, good-humoured, chatty, and musical lady, Mr. Arberley admitted the claim. Miss Tippet's only weakness, for she was indeed a most estimable woman, was a tendency to allow rank and position to weigh too much in her esteem. She had also a sensitive abhorrence of everything low and vulgar, which would have been, of course, a very proper feeling had she not fallen into the mistake of considering humble birth lowness and want of polish vulgarity, a mistake which is often, sometimes even willfully, made by persons who consider themselves much wiser than Miss Tippet but who are not wise enough to see a distinct shade of true vulgarity in their own sentiments. The dark, dismal lane, named Poorthing Lane, besides forming an asylum for decayed and would-be aristocrats, in a vestibule, as it were, to Beverly Square, was a convenient retreat for sundry greengrocers and public housekeepers and small tradespeople, who supplied the densely peopled surrounding district and even some of the inhabitants of Beverly Square itself with the necessities of life. It was also a thoroughfare for the gay equipages of the square, which passed through it daily on their way to and from the adjoining stables, thereby endangering the lives of precocious babies who could crawl, but could not walk away from home, as well as affording food for criticism and scandal, not to mention the leaving behind of a species of second-hand odor of gentility, such as coachmen and footmen can give forth. Miss Tippet's means being small, she rented a proportionately small residence consisting of two floors, which were the upper portion of a house whose ground floor was a toy shop. The owner of the toy shop, David Boone, was Miss Tippet's landlord, but not the owner of the tenement. He rented the whole and sublet the upper portion. Miss Tippet's parlor windows commanded a near view of the lodging opposite into every corner and crevice of which she could have seen, had not the windows been encrusted in impenetrable dirt. 
her own domestic arrangements were concealed from view by small green venetian blinds which rose from below and met the large venetians which descended from above the good lady's bedroom windows in the upper floor commanded a near view much too near of a stack of chimneys between which and another stack farther over she had a glimpse of part of the gable end of a house in the topmost bough of a tree in beverly square it was this prospect into paradise terrestrially speaking that influenced miss tippet in the choice of her abode when william wilders reached the small door of number six porthing lane and raised his hand to knock the said door opened as if it had been trained to admit visitors of its own accord and miss mattie marion issued forth followed by a bright blue-eyed girl of about twelve years of age well boy was ye comin here inquired mattie as the lad stepped aside to let them pass yes i was does miss tippet live here she does boy what do you want with her i went to see her young ooman so you'd better cut up away and tell her a gentleman requests a few words private conversation with her the little girl laughed at this speech and mattie addressing william as a dirty spalpeen said he had better go with her to a shop first and she'd then take him back and introduce him to miss tippet you see i can't let ye and all be yer alone cushla for what would the neighbors say you know i'm only going to the toy shop and won't kape ye a minute for miss emma don't take long to her bargains willie might probably have demurred to this delay but on hearing that the blue-eyed girl wanted to make purchases he went once agreed to the proposal and followed them into the toy shop david boone who stepped out of the back shop to serve them was if we may say so very unlike his trade a grave tall long-legged long-nosed raw-boned melancholy-looking creature such as he might have been an undertaker or a mute or a sexton or a policeman or a horse guardsman or even a lawyer but it was the height of impropriety to have him a toy shopman and whoever did it had no notion whatever of the fitness of things one could not resist the idea that his clumsy legs would certainly upset the slender wooden toys with which the floor and counters were covered and his fingers seemed made to break things the figure of punch which hung from the ceiling appeared inclined to hit him as he passed to and fro and the pretty little dolls with the sweet pink faces and very flaxen hair and cerulean blue eyes were evidently laughing at him nevertheless david boone was a kind-hearted man very fond of children and extremely unlike in some respects what people imagined him at first sight to be well miss ward what can i supply you with to-day said he blandly please mr boone i want a slate and a piece of slate pencil emma looked up with a sweet smile at the tall shopman who looked down upon her with grave benignity as he produced the articles required do you cape turpentine said mattie as they were about to quit the shop boone started and said almost toastily no i don't why do you ask sure there's no sin in asking replied mattie in surprise at the man's changed manner of course of course not rejoined boone with a slight look of confusion as he made a sudden assault with his pocket-handkerchief on the cat which was sleeping innocently in the window 
Get out of that, you brute. You're always a going on the winder capsizing things. There. You been and sat on the face of that air wax doll till you almost melted it. Out of that with you. No, Miss Marion, he added, turning to the girl with his wonted urbanity. I don't keep turpentine. I was only surprised you should ask for it in a toy shop. But you'll get it of Mr. White next door. I don't believe there's anything in the world he can't supply to his customers. David Boone bowed them out and then re-entered the back shop, shaking his head slowly from side to side. "'I don't like it. I don't even like to think of it, Gorman,' he said, to a big low-brow man who sat smoking his pipe beside the little fireplace, the fire in which was so small that its smoke scarcely equaled in volume that of the pipe he smoked. "'No, I don't like it, and I won't do it.' "'Well, well, you can please yourself,' said Gorman, knocking the ashes out of his pipe and placing it in his vest pocket as he rose and buttoned his thick pea-jacket up to the chin. "'But I'll tell you what it is. If you are a descendant of the hunter of the far west that you boast so much about, it's precious little of his pluck that you got. And so I'll tell you to your face, David Boone, all I've got to say that you'd better be wise and take my advice and think better of it. So saying, Gorman went out and slammed the door after him. Meanwhile, Miss Mattie Marion, having purchased a small file of turpentine, returned to number six and ushered Willie Wilders into the presence of her mistress. Miss Emmelina Tippet was neither tall nor stiff, nor angular nor bony. On the contrary, she was little and plump and not bad-looking. And people often wondered why Miss Tippet was Miss Tippet, it was not Mrs. Somebody Else. Whatever the reason was, Miss Tippet never divulged it, so we won't speculate about it here. A note, boy, for Mr. Arberly, exclaimed Miss Tippet with a beaming smile. Give it to me. Thank you. She opened it and read attentively, while Master Willie glanced around the parlor and took mental notes. Miss Emma Ward sat down on a stool in the window, ostensibly to do sums, but really to draw faces, all of which bore a strong caricatured resemblance to Willie, at whom she glanced slyly over the top of her slate. Mattie remained standing at the door to hear what the note was about. She did not pretend to busy herself about anything. There was no subterfuge in Mattie. She had been Miss Tippett's confidential servant before entering the service of Mr. Arberly, and her extremely short stay in Beverly Square had not altered that condition. She had come to feel that she had a right to know all Miss Tippet's affairs, and so waited for information. Ah! exclaimed Miss Tippet, still reading. Yes, get him a situation in your brother's office. Oh, certainly, I'll be sure to get that. He seems smart. I must always say impute. <clears throat> yes, well. Boy, said Miss Tippet, turning suddenly to Willie. Your name is William Wilders, I believe. Yes, ma'am. Well, William, Mr. Arberly, my relative, asked me to get you into my brother's, my brother's, what's his name, office. Of course, I shall be happy to try. I am always extremely happy to do anything for, yes, I suppose, of course, you can write. And what do you call it, count? Uh, you can do arithmetic? Yes, ma'am, replied Willie. And you can spell, eh? I hope you can spell. Edward, uh, I mean Thomas, or is it William? 
Miss Tippet looked at Willie so earnestly and put this question in tones so solemn that he was much impressed and felt as if all his earthly hopes hung on his reply, so he admitted that he could spell. Good, continued Miss Tippet. You are, I suppose, in rather poor circumstances. Is your father poor? He's dead, ma'am, was drowned. Oh, shocking, that's very sad. Was your mother drowned, too? No, ma'am, she's alive and well. At least she's well for her, but she ain't over-strong. That's why I want to get work, that I may help her, and she wants me to be a clerk in an office, but I'd rather be a fireman. You couldn't make me a fireman, could you, ma'am? At this point, Willie caught Miss Ward gazing intently at him over the top of her slate, so he threw her into violent confusion by weaking at her. No, boy, I can't make you a fireman. Strange wish. Why do you want to be one? Because it's such jolly fun, replied Willie, with real enthusiasm. Regular banging, crashing sort of work, and God is fighting any day. And my brother Frank's a fireman, such a one, too. You've no notion. Six foot four he is, and strong as, oh, why, ma'am, he could take you up in one hand, ma'am, twirl you round his head like an old hat. He was at the fire at Beverly Square last night. This speech was delivered with such vehemence, contained so many objectionable sentiments, and involved such a dreadful supposition in regard to the treatment of Miss Tippet's person, that the worthy lady was shocked beyond all expression. The concluding sentence, however, diverted her thoughts. Ah! Was he indeed at that sad fire? And did he help to put it out? "'Sure, and he did more than that,' exclaimed Maddie, regarding the boy with sudden interest. "'If that was your brother that saved Miss Lou, he's a real man.' "'Saved Lou?' cried Miss Tippet. "'Was it your brother that saved Lou?' "'Yes, ma'am, it was.' "'Bless him, he's a noble fellow, and I have a great pleasure in taking you by the hand for his sake.' Miss Tippet suited the action to the word, and seized Willie's hand, which she squeezed warmly. Maddie Marion, with tears in her eyes, embraced him, and said that she only wished she had the chance of embracing his brother, too. Then they all said he must stay to lunch, as it was about lunchtime, and Miss Tippet added that he deserved to have been born in a higher position in life. At least his brother did, which was the same thing, for he was a true what's-his-name, who ought to be crowned with thingamajigs. Emma, who had latterly been looking at Willie, with deepening respect, immediately crowned him with laurels on the slate, and then Maddie rushed away for the lunch tray, rejoicing in the fire that had sent her back so soon to the old mistress whom she never wanted to leave. That had afforded scope for the display of such heroism, and had brought about altogether such an agreeable state of unwanted excitation. Just as the party were on the point of sitting down to luncheon, the street-door knocker was applied to the door with an extremely firm touch. "'Miss Demas!' exclaimed Miss Tuppet. "'Oh, I'm so glad. Rush, Maddie!' Maddie rushed, and immediately there was a sound on the wooden passage as of a gentleman with heavy boots. A moment later, and Maddie ushered in a very tall, broad-shouldered, strapping lady, if we may venture to use that expression, in reference to one of the fair sex. Miss Demas was a sort of human eagle. She had an eagle eye, an aquiline nose, an eagle flounce, and an eagle heart. Going up to Miss Tippet, 
she put a hand on each of her shoulders and stooping down pecked her so to speak on each cheek how are you my dear said miss demas not by any means tenderly but much in the tone in which one would expect to have one's money or one's life demanded quite well dear julia and so glad to see you it's so good of you to take me by surprise this way just at lunch time too another plate and knife mattie this is a little boy a friend not exactly a friend but a thing of me you know no i don't know emmelina what is the precise thing of me you refer to this time said the uncompromising and matter-of-fact miss demas you're so particular dear julia replied miss tippet with a little sigh oh what's is in a protege you know indeed said miss demas regarding willie with a severe frown as if in her estimation all proteges were necessarily villains yes dear julia and would you believe it that this boy's brother-in-law brother ma'am interrupted willie yes brother actually saved my darling's life last night at the the thing in beverly square what darling's life and what thing in beverly square demanded miss demas what have you not heard of the fire last night in beverly square my relative james arberly living there with his family all burnt to ashes and my sweet lou too uh what's his name was brought and a brave fireman went up it through fire and water and smoke young arberly went up before him and fell heat and suffocation and saved her in his arms and his name is frank and he's this little boy's brother-in-law to this brief summary given with much excitement miss demas listened with quiet composure and then said with grim sarcasm and very slowly let me see there was a fire in beverly square last night and james arberly living there with his family were all burned to ashes miss tippet here interrupted with no no but her stern friend imposing silence with an eagle look continued all burned to ashes and also your sweet lou a what's-his-name having been brought a brave fireman goes up it and apparently never comes down again burned to ashes also i fancy but young arberly who went up before him and fell heat and suffocation being the result saved someone's named her in his arms his name being frank owing no doubt to his having been rebaptized for ever since i knew him he has been named frederick and he is this boy's brother-in-law by way of putting an extremely fine point on her sarcasm miss demas turned to willie with a very condescending air and said pray when did your sister marry mr frederick auberly willie with a face of meekness that can only be likened to that of a young turtle dove replied please ma'am it isn't my sister as has married mr auberly but it's my brother frank wilders as hopes to marry miss lou auberly on account of having saved her life when she comes of age ma'am miss demas stood aghast or rather sat aghast on receiving this reply and scanned willie's face with one of her most eagle glances but that small piece of impudence wore an expression of weak good nature and winked its eyes with the humility of a subdued pup while miss tippet looked half horrified and half amused mattie grinned and emma squeaked through her nose boy said miss demas severely your looks belie you yes ma'am answered willie my mother said i wasn't half so bad as i looked and she's aware that i'm absent from home 
at this point willie allowed a gleam of intelligence to shoot across his face and he winked to emma who thereupon went into private convulsions in her handkerchief emmelina said miss demas solemnly let me warn you against that boy he is a bad specimen of a bad sex he is a precocious type of that base domineering proud and perfidious creature that calls itself lord of creation in which in virtue of its superior physical power takes up every position in life worth having except that of wife and mother meekly suggested miss tippet worth having repeated the eagle sternly as if the position of wife and mother were not worth having worth having and leaves nothing for poor weak-bodied though not weak-minded woman to do except sew and teach brats bah i hate men and they hate me i know it and i would not have it otherwise i wish they had never been made i wish there had been none in the world but women what a blessed world it would have been then miss demas hit the table with her hand in a masculine manner so forcibly that the plates and glasses rattled then she resumed for she was now on a favorite theme and was delivering a lecture to a select audience but mark you i'm not going to put put down by men i mean to fight them with their own weapons i mean to she paused suddenly at this point and descending from her platform advised miss tippet to dismiss the boy at once poor miss tippet prepared to do so she was completely under the power of miss demas whom strange to say she loved dearly she really believed that they agreed with each other on most points although it was quite evident that they were utterly opposed to each other in everything wherein the bond lay no philosopher could discover possibly it lay in the fact that they were absolute extremes and in verification of the proverb had met be this as it may a note was quickly written to her brother thomas tippet esq which was delivered to willie with orders to take it the following evening to london bridge in the neighbourhood of which mr tippet dwelt and carried on his business End of chapter 7 Recording by Zena Blue